What is up, Western? Welcome to SOS, where we break down the stigma on student issues and fill you in on the resources that often get lost in administration. Welcome, I'm Prableen. And my name is Becca. And together, we are your hosts on the Students on Services podcast. And today, um, Elvira and Asil are joining us from uh, ESS. Yes, um, Elvira and Asil are joining us today in a collaboration between Students on Services and Bipocalypse, which is um, the podcast for uh, ethnocultural support services, which is super exciting. If you guys want to say hi and introduce yourselves. Hi, everyone. My name is Elvira. And I'm Asil. Um, okay, so today we're going to be talking about birthright and how it's related to privilege. So do any of you guys want to share what you, what birthright means to you? Um, I guess I can start. Like, I myself am South Asian, so it is a very, very big part of the culture a lot of the times. Um, I want to say that I'm lucky enough or like I'm fortunate enough that um, in my family, okay, I'm not saying I'm fortunate because I don't have brothers. I'm saying I'm fortunate. Like it happens. Like I'm, we're three sisters, and my parents have never once indicated to me that like birthright was going to be a thing or like it was ever. Because usually when you think of birthright, like you know, it goes to the son, the eldest son, or like the eldest child. But my parents have never kind of pushed that idea, uh, or ever made us feel like. I know there's this like really big thing of like being the second born and like I'm the second born but like I never I never felt that but it is a big part of the culture like um my dad he was the eldest son's first son and or, or like only child and like my grandfather was one of 17 kids so oh my god it was, like <laughs> yeah one of 17 kids so like it's a big thing so like when my grandfather passed away like it was like you know like you know how families are like they're fighting over land they're fighting over property um so whenever I think of birthright I always think of that um and you know it's a big deal and I wish it was less of a big deal but unfortunately it is like this is how it is and like as being a girl I'm lucky enough that like in like my parents don't care but I know that is a big problem for other women who come from my culture. Um, but yeah, I know that was like a lot, a little spiel, I kind of go into it, but yeah, that's, that's, I feel very strongly about birthright. Um, yeah, I think that like you're making your, like, you know, have a great point there where a lot of the times in like cultured families, um, um, like the eldest son is usually what like gets everything in terms of like property. Um, obviously like, um, uh, despite that I think there's also like other things that you can be like born with so like you can be born um like in certain forms of trauma too like I'm sure you guys heard of the term of intergenerational trauma which is like um that I think is also another thing where um it will affect you know how you live your life, how your children are raised. So not only is it like, you know, property and like those like tangible things, but it could be like, um, you know, your entire identity, I think as well. Um, Yeah, if anybody wants to add anything else. Yeah, I think I'm different than you, Elvira, where I, I grew up with three brothers. So I have no sisters, I'm the only girl. 
So I have one older brother and two younger brothers. Um, I'm like I'm Egyptian, Middle Eastern, and like birthright is also a huge thing in the Middle East. I mean, a simple example of it is when you have a son, like, and then you you name the dad. It's like Abu whatever, which is like you know you're the dad of and whatever your your oldest son. So the dad is literally known as like the dad of, and then whoever the oldest son is, and it's like the daughters are kind of like you know they're just kind of there whatever, right? Um, and I think. I was also very fortunate in that, like, my parents necessarily, they weren't, like, favoring anyone. Like, I know a lot of families back home, um, they, like, wish they had sons, and they definitely treat their sons and their daughters, like, completely differently. And, like, there's that, like, kind of despair where if they had daughters and they didn't have sons, uh, there's unequal treatment. But I I think also it falls a lot more than just inheritance, because I think when we think of Egypt, we think of it will inheritance. But also just kind of like the role that each plays, like the son is thought to be like, he's the man of the family, like he's supposed to be in charge of this and that. And the girl is supposed to be, I think there's like a lot of the emotional burden falls on her. Um, she's You're supposed to like to like take care of them, you know, make sure everyone is like taken care of. Um, and I think I've definitely experienced it. And there's also like different rules. There's a lot of double standards in what the boy and what the girl can do and what the oldest son can do and so on. Um, so yeah, it's, it's very layered for sure. I t- 100% agree with you, Seal. Like what you're saying, like I totally relate to it. Cause like even though I don't have brothers, my sisters and I fall into very specific roles, like within our own, like as the firstborn, as the secondborn, and like my younger sister being the thirdborn. And it's funny because it's not like you're handed out like this is how you're gonna act or this is your responsibility like in the family but you kind of fall into these roles and often they're they're really shaped by like literally the only difference being is like when you're born like my older sister when it comes down to like you know like you know serious things like she takes care of like legal stuff you know the big stuff you know like the the bigger stuff you know, and like when, and like for me, it's like I'm more of the t- caretaker because I'm the second born. Like, I don't have the responsibility of having to take care of the family, you know, in the sense like, uh, I want to say like financially and like overall well being, but like the emotional stuff falls on me because I'm the second born. And then my little sister, um, well, she's also 12, but like she gets to be more of a child than like the re- the either of us get to just because of like the way that we're born and like I don't want to say it's a good thing but it's not necessarily a bad thing either it's just kind of how it is yeah no it's really interesting that you're saying that like the like the third born or like the youngest actually gets to be a child versus like the eldest children don't really have that like privilege to be like you know um like the firstborn, like I'm the firstborn. And like, again, like I have to like take care of like, you know, like also with immigrant parents, like sending emails because they don't know like maybe what like the best way to write like an email in English is. And so you're sitting there like, yeah, this is how you do it. Or like, like, you know, the other day I had to like help my dad set up like a Google meets to have a meeting. That's a, that's stuff that falls on me. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, definitely like depending on like how, um, 
like whether you were first born or like, you know, where, like how or um, when you were born, like that definitely affects your role in a family. But it's also interesting what like Asil was saying earlier. Um, I have my youngest, I have one brother, he's the youngest. And um, like, I remember uh, that whenever like one of my sisters were born, like my grandma used to cry, like instead of it being like a, a celebration, it was more like, oh, there's another girl or you know, there's another girl. And I even, I like recognize how much like my mom had to go through too, because it's like, as, um, like as a wife in like a South Asian, like household, like it's you giving or, you know, giving birth to sons is a really big responsibility, even though it's not really like, you can't really do anything about it, but that's just how it is. So like, if you're not able to do that, then it's like, what's wrong, right? Like you're, going to be compared to people who like, you know, oh, like that family has like two sons, but we have like three daughters and they're seen more of a burden. So like even being born um, like just as a male or a female, like you're born into a specific role, you're born into essentially trauma because that's like what you're, you know, that's how you grow up. Um, you have to clean the house as a girl, but like the guy's just like chilling in the room, like playing video games and that's fine. Um, so yeah. But you guys all had like really amazing points. And honestly, until this exact moment, I have never really thought about like what birthright means to me because I don't have like, I guess those same cultural pressures. I'm incredibly European parents from Canada, grandparents from Canada the whole way through. But I am the daughter of a single parent. My mom raised me by herself um, and we were also pretty impoverished. And as an only child, it's kind of just hitting me now that like, I'm not going to be inheriting a whole lot because my mom continues to live in poverty, but I also am going to be taking on this role of caretaker someday. And it's kind of an interesting position to be in, I guess, when all of that pressure is put on you. Like, I don't really have siblings um, to kind of share that weight with. But at the same time, I guess, like, in some ways kind of works for me because I will inherit everything from my mom, you know, when that time comes. Yeah. And no, it's also really interesting how, like, each one of us have, like, you know, similar but, like, also different stories. And, like, that's kind of, like, where, like, you know, birthright is essentially, like, you know, just being born into, like, something. Like, it doesn't have to be, like property or money or like a specific sort of inheritance it could also just be you're born into a specific role or like a narrative like like what I said before like I you know how you're born where you're born like you know what type of family you're born into um that speaks a lot about like you know your identity as well um yeah um I I think that that's it like uh, uh Becca what you were saying was really interesting um in the sense of like it's it kind of touches upon what everyone was talking about so I'm gonna rescind my uh, that bit but um I think like my parents like are not just my parents like I myself am an, as, am an immigrant I moved here when I was 13 years old and one of the big things when I think about birthright, aside from culture, I mean, there's culture to it, but when I moved here, it was very, like, and I didn't realize how different until I got a bit older and actually came to Western, was that I didn't realize how far people, like, whether it comes to wealth or inherited, inherited, inheritance, 
excuse me, how far back it goes. Because like when when we moved here, we didn't have those connections. We didn't have that sense of familiarity. There's nothing. And like I actually I talk to my roommate about this all the time. And um, she's in um, uh, she wants to go to med school, so she's in like genetics. And and you know she was talking about how hard it is for her as well because like her parents didn't go to college and she was talking about how sometimes she hears people in like her classes speak and they're like oh yeah I've been uh, volunteering at like a research institute since I was like 14 but like people who are impoverished people who don't have those connections don't have access to those opportunities there are so many people I know who cannot just volunteer their time because they have to work jobs to make money so like it's not just about like wealth that you can inherit it's about opportunities too because you might be just as good better or worse but there's a lot of I don't want to say nepotism because it's not just nepotism um, but it's access to opportunities that people don't have and people are born into and like when you're born into these networks like you're I don't want to say you're set but you kind of are because you have access to things that many many immigrants and like impoverished people don't and there's a lot of privilege in having that no adding on to that like it's not necessarily that you're set like let's say sure someone here could be of lower socioeconomic status and they don't have these social connections but just the fact that your parents grew up in this country also makes a huge difference. Like, um, if you don't know the language, like, you have cultural differences. Um, I mean, like, when I was applying to university, I was like, what the hell is going on? It's a completely different system, right? Because my parents, like, they knew about stuff back home, but this is a whole new system. So just the fact that, like, you know how the country works is also, like, a huge asset um, to have. Yeah, and I... And I don't think it helps very much either. Um, being a person of color often as well, because like there's so many, so many people like um, who I know, or who my parents know, who are like uh, applying for jobs. And you know, first they don't um, like over here. They don't consider non-Canadian experience to be like. Uh, what's the word um, enough they don't validate it very much and while like you know I do understand a certain aspect because different countries have different like rules but there's a lot of racism that is in it like some like sometimes I hear I had an uber driver once who was literally a surgeon and he couldn't afford to take the the exam here or couldn't do the courses something of the sort but like it's not that he doesn't know how to do surgery. He is a full-fledged doctor. It's just that they don't consider it here either. And there's, like, it's really astounding to me that there is so much, like, there's so much privilege in just having the opportunity or the networks to do things when most people don't, if that makes sense. Yeah, I was going to add on to that, like, my friend and I were talking the other day, and we were talking about how the world we live in today, um, the internet has become a need, 
which was so interesting because growing up, you were like, what are your needs? It was shelter, clothing, food, and water, right? We just brought this war. But the world we live in today, you need the internet, right? Because how are you going to access job interviews, applications, in order to make money to buy food and water and, and look at shelter, you need the internet. And I, I saw this this tweet on Twitter the other day, and it was someone who like came from a frivolous position, and they were saying that they were applying to a job. And before they could apply, they had to like prepare a presentation. And he was saying how many hours it took to prepare that presentation. And he was saying only a privileged yeah. person has the time to prepare for that. Like if someone else had a job or they have children, like they don't have the opportunity to take time off work or to not care for their children to prepare a well-made presentation. So I always find it so baffling when companies or or schools or organizations, they're like, oh, we're trying to be more diverse. How do we increase our diversity? But like the opportunities that they have, like how you apply, how you actually get the job, like they're not considering people of different socioeconomic class, different cultural backgrounds or different anything. They're just, the jobs are built for a certain type of people. And then they get confused when, when they don't have diversity, even though the system is built for like one identity. I think this is a great opportunity to discuss um, privilege and how the world, you know, it's absolutely true that society kind of sets things up so that the privileged have an advantage. That's what being privileged means, is to have an advantage um, in a certain situation. Um, And I think that um, society definitely needs reforms to be more inclusive of other people. Um. And I think that a lot of people are also resistant to change in that matter. Like a lot of people don't quite understand why the system needs to change because they're unaware of issues just because they're not experiencing them. The truth is every single person has some form of privilege. That is not opinion. That is a fact. You cannot be marginalized in every way that we are marginalized, which is funny to say because that makes you aware of how many systems are against us. And, you know, kind of should get people thinking, maybe there's a reason why there's so many ways that all of us are oppressed. You know, let's do a little, little critical thinking there. But, um, but what I wanted to say is that I find that a lot of the times people with a lot of privileges are very, very comfortable in where they are. And I think and I, I, I really don't mean to put like a, a damper, you know, like I'm not trying to sound like uh, very pessimistic or anything, but the reality of the situation is, is that we can say, check your privilege to people and they can take it and then they can capitalize off of it and make it into a girl boss movement. But they are very, very comfortable in where they're benefiting and how they're benefiting. And a lot of them are aware, like, I mean, not, all of them, but you know the these big these big bros, these big companies, they the government, you know they they know what they're doing and they know why it's happening. And the truth is, is that a lot of people with privilege don't like to be made uncomfortable, and they don't like to hear why what they're doing is wrong and or how they're or even if it's not not even if they're not actively doing it, they don't like to be heard. They don't like to hear about how they're benefiting off of someone else's misfortune. I, I'm just like okay, checking your privilege is such a huge thing. I was I was gonna say it's funny that throughout this conversation, we all all of us are like, oh, you know, I understand my privilege, my name, my skin tone, my parents, and I and I always think it's funny that 
often the people that are minorities or who may not have a lot of privileges, they're just like, I am aware of my privileges. You know what? I know that there are people that are below me. I know there's people that are aware of me. I, I, and they're always trying to like being introspective and checking their privileges. And then there's there's those that are that are more privileged and, and they don't even know how to do that. Like they, like the people that actually need to check their privilege are not. And, and I, was, I always find it so, so ironic. Yeah, I think you brought up like a lot of really, really great points there. <laughs> like a lot of really great points. Um, like I absolutely, absolutely agree. Anytime you see like, for example, if you go to a therapist, if you have the privilege to go and access a therapist, if you look at therapy like um, accounts, even the first thing they'll say is like, in order to break that, you know, trauma or the intergenerational trauma, that cycle, you need to be aware of it first. And it's so even if you as a like you as a single person cannot be the only one that's aware of it in the family, because how are you supposed to, you know, you, at the end of the day, the sad truth is you can't change your parents, right? So you can only do what's best for, you know, in your lifetime. And then if you have children, what you can do for them. Um, but like, the problem is that a lot of the people don't have the privilege to be like to have access to these places or to these like, you know, wellness activities to, um, you know, therapy to any sort of mental health, like whatever it is that could, or just education in general, to be able to understand the effects of intergenerational trauma, the effects of being born into specific types of, you know, you know, backgrounds, families, whatever, and, um, like a, a social economic status, like whatever it is. Um, so not understanding you know, maybe like just not being, not being aware of that. It's first of all, it's really hard to be aware of it, but once you are, it's really hard to change it because you're constantly, it's like, I don't know if you've ever seen, like you can't heal in the place that you were, you were um, in the place that you got sick. I think that's what it is. And it's like, most likely you got sick in your parents' house, not saying that it's because of your parents, <laughs> but like, that's probably where it happened. And it's like, you're going to stay there for you know, probably 18 years of your life, if not longer than that. And then after that, it's really, after it's really hard to like, I don't know, like there's a lot being aware of it. And then, like you said, the whole thing about like um, being the troublemaker, if you are aware of it, because nobody else wants to believe that it's true. And that's also where a lot of the stigma comes in from these, like, you know, depression isn't real or like, you know, anxiety isn't real. Like stop, stop being extra. Like, you know, you're fine. Like, don't, don't make it a big deal. And then because mental health is not a big deal the solutions to it or how you can help yourself those are non-existent and so that's also where like birthright ties into having access to be able to heal and to be able to like break that cycle and do better for yourself and then for your children um in the next generation so wellness cannot be a one size fits all because nobody is one size fits all and that's not even aside from like an individual perspective that every person is different it's that every person benefits and is disadvantaged by the system in different ways so wellness can't look the same for everyone so whenever i see people online who are like self-care is the way to do it just take a relaxing bath have a bath bomb, have a glass of wine. First of all, I don't drink, so can't do that. Second, I don't have a bathtub. Where am I supposed to take a bath? You know, like, you know what I mean? Like, like these, like, these are things that can make you feel good in the moment and are good ways to practice healthy living. 
but that's not wellness. And a lot of people can't, like, if we're going back to the bath example, first of all, what a waste of water. Because, like, indigenous communities in this country do not have water. Like, they live under boiled advisories, advisories. And, like, when they open the taps, the water is brown, you know? So, first, people don't have water. Like, can you believe that in this country, like, a, a first like I'm putting this in quotation marks I know that people listening can't hear this but first world country doesn't have water like how are we the most developed how are we the most allegedly civilized country or you know countries and people in this world don't have food to eat and don't have water to drink like that's kind of ridiculous no I was just gonna like I feel when people are you know when they do need wellness or their mental health is suffering like if you give them two, three hours of taking a bath and reading a book and having a quiet night, that is not enough. That's nothing. Like, so I do agree that maybe, yes, doing it consistently maybe might be helpful, but a lot of people don't have that opportunity. Um, but like what you probably really need is like therapist or some access to mental health, which which maybe you don't have access to or there's talk to be or whatever. Um, but yeah, no, that's yeah, mental mental wellness and it's it's a huge topic that I think a lot of people misunderstand. And, and, you know, it's not even, like, it's not even directly about the, but, like, what you guys were saying with Asil and Ovira, what you guys were talking about with, like, you know, um, taking, you know, taking a bath or uh, reading a book and, you know, having a relaxing night. Like, although that's, like, those are great things to maybe have a relaxing night after, like, a, you know, a long week and it might work for you again. It works, different things work for different people. Um, it's, I think what the important part is about whether or not you have the ability to have a relaxing night, maybe after, you know, doing two shifts, you don't have time to have a three hour bath and read a book. Maybe you need to sleep because you only have like what, five hours to sleep before you have to wake up and go to work again. Maybe you don't have a two day weekend, maybe like, you know, again, you have to save water. You don't have money to pay your water bill. So you can't take a bath because it's going to take an incredible amount of water. Or um, even, and you know, even without those things, like take doing things for your, you know, mental health, like speaking to a therapist, you know, re reaching out to like counseling services. Those are very, very hard to access. Like you can look, search up psychology today and like you look at the number of therapists and psychotherapists. And first of all, half of them will be like, I have a waiting list. I'm not taking any clients. And then the other half are going to be like, I ask for $120 um, and maybe my, you know, May, or and that will probably include the student discount. You know, you can say one twenty is on the low end. Like one, if I could get therapy <laughs> for one twenty, I know. I was just thinking that. I was like, I was like, one hundred twenty is is cheap. Can you believe that? It's cheap. And you know, the cost associated with therapy is exactly what makes um, the ability to seek therapy a privilege. Um, wellness isn't just going to a therapist and you know working through your problems wellness could be going to the gym and that's like another thing that many people don't have the privilege of doing because again it's another um financial commitment you're paying money every month to have a gym membership um some people are not able to practice physical wellness um because of these boundaries um 
but I think it goes beyond that. There are many things, there are many boundaries that can stop people from practicing wellness. I know a few have already been mentioned. I think we talked, you know, we talked a little bit about like lack of resources and lack of time is another big one. Um, especially as a student, I think a lot of people really struggle to find the time. You know, at the end of the day, your birthright honestly determines whether or not, you know, you have access to certain, you know, wellness activities, mental health um, services. And um, even when you get access to that, there could be, it may not work for certain people. So again, it's, it's, humans are just very there's a lot of different aspects they provide advantages disadvantages it influences the ability for you to access certain services and so you know you just need i think in people individually depending on how they were born where they were born what their privilege is they require like different kinds of support to be able to have the same opportunities as everyone or to be able to um get the help that they need and that they deserve Absolutely. That was a great summary, Probleen. Um, I couldn't have said it better myself. Um, I do think that we are running a little short on time, though, so I'm going to pass it back to you to get things wrapped up. Um, okay, so thank you, Asil and Elvira, for joining us today and talking about um, this very important topic about birthright and how that relates to social privilege and wellness. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. Yes, thank you guys so much for coming in and doing this collaboration with us today. Again, Elvira and Asil are representing Bipocalypse, which is the podcast for Ethnocultural Support Services. Um, you should definitely check their podcast out. It is on Spotify. If you look up Bipocalypse, you will find them. Um, and with all that being said, that is a wrap on this podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in and check back in next month. We're going to be doing one more podcast before the school year ends.